podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's going on, USG fam? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Noah Weiss, and I'm excited to welcome Coach Mark Potter on to the podcast today. Coach Potter has been coaching the game of basketball for his entire adult life, starting his career as the boys' head coach at Cheney High School before returning to his alma mater, Newman University, where he spent 19 seasons as the men's basketball head coach. During his time at the helm of the Jets, Coach Potter faced a battle with mental health that would forever change his life. Following that battle, Coach Potter founded an organization called D2Up, which seeks to shatter the stigma surrounding mental health issues and to provide hope for recovery to those in the midst of a mental health crisis. Coach Potter, thanks for taking the time to join me today. It is a pleasure, Noah, and also a pleasure to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, whatever we say today is going to impact uh, your listeners in a positive way, somehow, some way. And that's, uh, that's all we care about at the end of the day. So, No doubt about it, Coach. No doubt about it. Thanks for being here. And, Coach, I, I think it'd be, it'd be great to start talking about your career in coaching. Obviously, this is a, a sports podcast, and you spend a lot of your adult life uh, coaching the game of basketball. So to share with us, why did you decide to pursue a career in coaching the game of basketball and what impact did that have in your, in your spiritual and personal life? So I, you know, I was, I grew up in small town, Kansas, and, you know, I had a coach that coached all three sports and, uh, you know, I just, you know, being a competitor in all three of those sports, which was football, basketball, and baseball, and also, you know, with the same exact head coach, it was just like, you know, his, uh, you know, what he did every day, you know, I thought, you know, that's something I want to do. I want to be able to be in the sports world and impact young people, you know, in a positive way and still be able to compete at the highest level. And uh, so, you know, he, you know, Coach, coach Les Davis, and who's now passed away, was uh, a legend in, in, you know, in Kansas. And so... That was one of the, you know, he was a great influence on why I decided to become a coach and, uh, you know, went off, you know, when I went to college, I played two sports. So I played basketball and baseball for four years of college. And, you know, again, just, uh, you know, I think, you know, every, every one of us has like this different competitive spirit and, mm. you know, depending on what it might be well, in the sports world for me, it was like, you know, God gave me this and you know, high energy, hmm. uh, always thinking about what, you know, to do to be better and, hmm. you know, not just in personal life, but also obviously in what I did for a living. So, yeah. you know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player and I was better baseball player than I was basketball. Hmm. Although both of them, you know, basketball pretty much paid my college education. Yeah. And then when getting out of, you know, college, 
You know, it was it was uh, it was time to go get a job. I didn't get drafted, which I thought I was going to. It was really close, yeah. um, but that didn't happen. That wasn't God's will. So you know, went went to Cheney High School in, in Cheney, Kansas, which is a three A here, and um, that's that's where that's where I started. I somehow, some way, you know, after you know, this is the this is how God works. Okay, mm-hmm. so so my wife and I we interviewed at. You know, Western Kansas schools, mm-hmm. we were offered the job. You know, we could have gone back to our hometown, which is in Southeast Kansas. And then out of nowhere, I get a phone call from, I, I, I had put my application in for Cheney, but you know, we lived in Wichita, so it was only 30 minutes from Wichita. Yeah. And uh, I was in the third wave of interviews. So, you know, not knowing all that happened and we're not going to get into all that, but like, mm. You know, they offered it to a guy, didn't take it. They did a second wave and offered it to a different guy. He didn't take it, got another job and didn't like the other people or whatever. I'm in the third wave. I'm hmm. 20, you know, when I interviewed, I was 22. Hmm. And probably, listen, that's probably not the right word. There's there's not a 22-year-old that is fully ready to be a head coach, okay? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, you get thrown into the fire and... uh you know, you just, you know, you may think you are at 22, but uh, believe me, there's so many, so many things to learn, but God, you know, give me the opportunity. And next thing you know, I'm a head coach at, uh, at Cheney high school, went five years there, five years at Cape and Mount Carmel, uh, mm-hmm. which is another, a level up, two levels up actually in Kansas. Yeah. And then uh, one year at Wichita South high school. Mm-hmm. So I was a head coach at 11 years, the high school level, mm-hmm. and then had the opportunity to start re- uh, to uh, restart the men's basketball program at Newman University. So wow. we started it from scratch. That was also another ch- incredible challenge. And, no you know, if somebody asked me to do that today, uh, I would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're 32 years old or whatever it was, 32 or three, um, you know, you, you know, you don't know any better. You know, yeah. you just think, you know, you got the world by the tail and mm-hmm. you get in there and you start recruiting players. I mean, I got the job in March and I had to field a team. You know, I had to have a team on the court, you know, by when August started, when school started in August. So, wow. uh, believe me, there were a lot of hours being put in uh, yeah. to get that program restarted. And, you know, God just, you know, blessed me and that mm. program yeah. tremendously. So, that's amazing. um, that, that's kind of the, 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 the quick background, I guess, mm. uh, you know, of why I got into coaching and, and kind of what happened that led me to where I was, mm. uh, at Newman university for those, for those 19 years. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Coach. I think it's good for our listeners just to get to know more about your journey through sports. I mean, this this industry is so powerful, but it is so challenging. And so I appreciate you sharing on both the positives of your, your coaching journey, but also some of those those struggles as well. And, and Coach, as we dive in to our main point here today, really excited to chat through um, just your journey with mental health and what you're doing now at D2UP. But I, I want to start, I mentioned in the introduction that you faced a battle with mental health during the latter part of your coaching career at Newman, just share with us kind of the beginning of that mental health journey and, and some of the signs and symptoms you began to experience um, during that mental health uh, crisis in your life. So I was in my 18th year as a head coach, and I think I had been at Newman, I want to say it for six years there. And you know, it was, it was, it was at the beginning of that basketball season, literally, you know, I always describe it as day one of practice that particular year, which was in 2005, the 05, 06 season mm. was when I felt the first symptom. And I really didn't know 
what that's you know that symptom was actually going to lead to severe depression hmm. and i also did not know that i had struggled with really high anxiety really for my entire coaching career yeah. just didn't know what it was i just thought that's the way you were supposed to feel hmm. and so the anxiety kind of went to another level hmm. and then i remember the very first day of practice that year you know i walked on the court and you know i just i felt like my goodness i just don't feel quite as hmm confident as I normally did and, and confident meaning, you know, just, you know, you've been doing it for 18 years. It wasn't like I hadn't, you know, gone through a lot of things to get to that point. I'd been at Newman for a long time. Mm. So, you know, when people ask like, you know, what made that happen? You know, you know, my doctor couldn't even you know give a description other than, uh, you know, when you, you know, this is something that I might, I hope somebody will hear what I'm getting ready to say, whether they're in the business world or what, whatever world they're working mm. in, you know, I basically thought, you know, if I outwork my opponent, and we use that phrase all the time, right? In the sports world, in the business world, I'm going to outwork my opponent. Well, I sure enough did that because I averaged about four hours of sleep a night during the basketball season every every year hmm. up until that point. So when people ask, well, how did, you, how did it happen? Why did you start having symptoms? My doctor said, probably, you know, when you do that 17 straight years, and now all of a sudden you're, you're you know, you're 41, I think is what it was when I, that particular hmm. year you know, that leads into, you know, your body and your chem, your brain chemistry changing because you're just not taking care of yourself the way you mm, need to. Yeah. Thank goodness I wasn't a drinker or anything like that, right. or it would have really gotten bad. Yeah. But, uh, so I mean, I just, you know, I worked hard and, and, and didn't probably work smart if that mm, makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, there's such a fine line, you know, mm. to get to, to, to be successful. Well, that day one, when I didn't feel near as confident, uh, I just, I thought, you know, I hope these guys don't, you know, don't screw up anything today. They don't do anything stupid. So I don't have to get on them. Well, that mm. that's the opposite of the way I always thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a head coach, you embrace those things, yeah. you know, as a boss, you embrace those things. You mm. don't always enjoy them, yeah. but you embrace them because that's what you do. Mm. And that's not the way I felt. I was just like, man, I, I don't know if I feel like I'm capable mm. of handling all the issues and, and motivating these players like I had done for 17 years. That was the day one. Yeah. And then, and then it kind of, you know, every day, like something, it seemed like something different would happen. It took mm. me approximately five and a half, almost six weeks to go from what I would call my normal yeah. to spiraling completely out of control with my thoughts all the way to the point where I had suicidal thoughts. And, mm. um, you know, so I, I'm going to stop right there because maybe you'll have another question in the midst mm. of that, but I can keep going with my story forever. You know that yeah. you've heard me speak before. So, uh, but that's how it started. And, and then obviously a lot of things happen in those next five and a half weeks. Mm. Coach, I appreciate you sharing. I think the importance of that early stage is for listeners to recognize if maybe they are experiencing those symptoms. And, and I appreciate you sharing too, even just the confusion you had, right? So our listeners yeah. aren't, aren't feeling like, man, I don't get it. You also felt that way and, and were struggling to identify what was happening. And Coach, I, I guess the question I have next is what made it so difficult in the beginning for you to begin to kind of recognize that those signs weren't normal and, and to get help? And how would you maybe ad advise individuals that have those signs and symptoms um, to get help? Like, What are ways they can actively go and seek help when they're feeling these symptoms? Well, the first thing I would say is when you have some symptoms that you know are not normal for you, mm. then 
don't wait for 20 other symptoms to take place like I did yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and get to the point where it, you know, I did start having the suicidal thoughts. Had I known what it was, and here's the other side of this, like the stigma is so strong mm. that you can even know that you are severely depressed with incredibly high anxiety and still not go get help. I mean, we, my wife and I, we speak around the nation. Uh, yesterday we, we were in, uh, well, we just got back from Pennsylvania and that was our 25th state to be able to speak on this topic to mm. different colleges, student athletes, coaches, high schools, middle schools. And I always tell them that whatever you do, when you start to feel a symptom or symptoms, do not wait. Hmm. Please tell somebody that you're struggling. Many times the person that's going through, through the, uh, the issues with mental health, they're battling more than just the, the symptoms. They're also battling the stigma that's telling them, hey, I can't, I can't tell anybody. I mean, my example is, hey, I'm a head coach, right? I'm a man, I'm a father, hmm. I'm a husband, I'm supposed to be in control. Hmm. And, you know, that's just, uh, that stigma is so strong that it says, you know, you got to hide this, you got to, this is the way I was brought up. And many people that listen to this will probably be able to relate to this. You know, here's what we do. We suck it up, you know, suck it up, pull up your bootstraps and go forward. Hmm. Boom, done. We're not talking about this. Like you're yeah. okay. You'll get through this and everything will be fine. And that's, mm. people say that not because they're trying to hurt you. My mom and dad would say that. They love me dearly, right? Yeah. Uh, it's because they want you to feel better. And yeah. if they, they feel like if they can just like, okay, you know what, you're fine. And they give you a little bit of encouragement, you'll get through it. Well, that's not the way mental health issues, when you have mental health issues, that's, that's just not the way it works. Mm. Because the chemical imbalance in the brain it's a serotonin level that starts to drop. And when it starts to drop, my greatest wisdom that I could give anybody is do not wait for 10 symptoms to hit. If you mm. feel the first symptom, you know something not quite right, just go to your doctor. And here's what most people don't get, Noah. They don't understand that every family in America has somebody that is affected by a mental health issue at mm. some point in time or another. You yeah. see, when I started this journey, you know, 17 years ago when it happened to me, I guess it was 18 now. So hmm. at the beginning of that season, when it started, I literally thought I was the only, I knew I was the only head coach that couldn't handle his daily duties that had those types of thoughts. Right. I knew that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I've learned since I've learned that there are so many people out there, many head coaches, many assistant coaches, hmm. many people that aren't in the coaching or sports world that are struggling with mental health issues that continue to hide it because they think they're the only ones. Yeah. You know, my wife always says the, I love this phrase and, and it's so simple yet. It's, it's something that everybody needs to hear that the only wrong thing you can do is to do nothing. Hmm. And as I was, as those symptoms were starting for me, I was doing nothing other than getting worse with the symptoms, not telling my own wife who I had been married to at that time for 21 years mm. and known over 30. Yeah. And here's what I want to tell people. So, I, you know, when we speak, my wife speaks with me. And, and so, uh, you know, we always have a little fun with this part because it's kind of a heavy topic, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but I always tell people, you know, I started calling my wife when I was a seventh grader and she was an eighth grader. <laughs> and people just like, what? Are you kidding me? And, uh, 
you know, I always tell them, you know, I'm just, I'm just going after an older woman. You know what I mean? Right. You know, they have fun. I just have fun with that. And, yeah. Uh, but, but I tell that story because, you know, we've now been married for 39 years. And so at the time I was going through severe depression, 21 years been married, known her over 30. And I still, the stigma still told me, don't tell your wife. She might think you're weak. Hmm. I mean, the one person on the face of the earth, you're newly married, right? Like, yeah. You know, you know, you're saying, well, what if it happened to me in the next month or two? You know, would you tell your wife? Would you discuss it with your wife? Well, you better know, or I'm coming to Minnesota. All right, you hear me? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> because that's the stigma that's talking, and that stigma is a lie. And you know, one of the mm -hmm. things that I always tell people is like, you know, how's that been working for us? You know, when you look around the country, and you see the suicide rate as high as it is now, yeah. and now yeah. it's below 11 minutes. So it's, it's, it's every 10 minutes and some seconds, hmm. somebody dies by suicide in the United States. Man. That that's, that's just, that's, that's a discouraging statistic, but hmm. you know, my wife and I, we are on this journey so that we can, we can start to attack that part of, you know, let people know, listen, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. What's Amen. not okay is not to do something about it. Amen. So, um, I don't know. I probably got off of where we were going there, That's but, great. uh, you know, I just, there's, there's so many things that people start to think when they start mm. to struggle like this. And, and I just want them to know they're not alone in their journey. Mm. And, and when you think you are, I, you know, I, what I've learned these last 17 years is that my goodness, if I had just, mm. you know, said, honey, you know, I I'm struggling a little bit. I don't know what it is. Don't know what's happening here, but we probably need to go, go to the doctor. Mm. That is not what I did. Yeah. I, I hid it from my wife until my wife, she did start seeing some signs at about the, I'm, I'm guessing here, about the four-week mark. Mm -hmm. So wow. day one, symptom. Day two, some other, you know, just start having some thoughts like, okay, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. Anxiety level raises. Yeah. Uh, started to become emotional. So I would, you know, after a practice, I would go to my office, close my door, and just cry. And, mm -hmm. you know, 41-year-old head coach of 18 years, you know, that husband, that man, that father, all those things, right? Like, you know, depression and anxiety and any type of mental health issue, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you're yeah. a head coach. Yeah. It doesn't care, you know, where you come from, whether you're from Minnesota or Kansas or wherever. Mm. Uh, it's going to, in many cases, and I think when, when we start to understand this as a society, that when when we recognize that it's at some point it might even affect me. Hmm. So I, when I say that, like, I hope everybody that's listening to this podcast will say at some point it might even affect me. Yeah. That's either personally or someone in their family. And to be, you know, quite frank with everybody, like if they're honest, it's probably already affected them. Hmm. Yeah. Someone in their family or them. Hmm. And once we get to that point as a society, then we can actually start attacking the issue. Hmm. For you know, sure. you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you, you know, you're having a heart attack. We're going to get you to the doctor and, you know, do everything in our power to save your life. You know, if you have, if you're a diabetic, you can take your insulin every day. Yeah. You know, if you get the flu, you know, or if it's COVID or whatever, you're going to get the doctor and you're going to work on that. And you're going to try to fix it. Right. Mm. Well, we're talking about a mental health issue that the stigma has been attached since the beginning of time. Yeah. And we say, oh, and you know, every, every 10 minutes, somebody dies. Hmm. You know, a little over 10 minutes, but it's less than 11 yeah. in the United States, man, you know, let's, let's start changing our thought process. Right. Yeah. And that's why my wife and I do what we do. So, yeah. and, and it, you know, I can get into this a little bit too, but, um, 
you know, there was a point in time in which my wife said, what is going on with you? Because she saw a tear running down my face. And, and that, that was about that four week mark. Mm. And I'm still trying to keep my head above water. I'm, you know, I'm going to practice every day, trying yeah. to get my team ready for the season. But I was, I was spiraling mm. and I was hoping that nobody found out. I was hoping my team didn't find out. My mm. assistant coaches didn't find out. The stigma is so strong that you just do everything in your power to, you know, to keep going, to put on that face, you know, yeah. anybody listening to this will know what I mean by that. If they've ever gone through any type of struggle at all, we put on that face and we go out yeah. in public and, you know, we, you know, and, and, and I get it, you know, sometimes you have to do that. It's, mm -hmm. You know, we don't always feel great every day, but when you're yeah. going through a mental health issue, man, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And, yeah. you know, what I thought was embarrassing, I felt guilty, all those things. Now I know <laughs> yeah. 17 years later, like now I know it's like, wow, I just wish people would understand that because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm like, you know, they're like me. If they're not telling anybody, they're like I am. Yeah. And I, that's not the right way to go about it. So yeah. my wife changed she changed my world in a hurry. Like how she saw mm. that, she started asking a lot of questions and I'm like, and I still, I still just told her, Nope, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just a little more anxious than normal. Mm. So I didn't tell her the actual, you know, thoughts mm. and things that I was going through. And then finally we were at about the, uh, five week mark approximately. We were on, we were at the Saturday before the opening game of the season. And I mean, I had, I was just, she'd seen me two different times, maybe three, with tear running down my face in the house and she's like what is happening with you you know she was getting frustrated with me and starting mm -hmm. to ask a lot of questions and now yeah. i'm like oh no now my wife knows right yeah. like now my wife's starting to catch on mm -hmm. and uh, I, it was a saturday morning and every year i would bring my team from uh, newman university which is in wichita kansas yeah. out to the small community that we live in which is 30 minutes yeah and we would always practice at the local high school and then we would go to the bowling alley and the pizza, there's a pizza place that's connected to it. And we would kind of have a team bonding activity the, mm. the Saturday before the opening game of the season. We did it every year. Yeah. Well, this was the day I'm standing at my sink at nine 30 in the morning. My team's coming out. We're starting practice at 10 AM, you know, in, at the local high school and I'm losing it just at my sink, just, you know, crying and just like just emotional. And my wife comes around, she's like, what is going on with you? You know, like mm. just, could not understand what was happening. And to be real honest, I didn't understand it, but I knew that I was really, really sick. Yeah. And, you know, I knew that something needed to give, but I just didn't know how to tell her. And I think a lot of listeners might be able to relate to that comment as well. Like I, you know, that, that pride, our egos, all of yeah. those things, we try to protect it and we do everything in our power to protect it. And some, and most of the time it's, it's, um, uh, it's just not a good thing to try to do that. It's just, uh, in yeah. this case, my wife, uh, she says, well, you need me to take you to practice today. <laughs> well, <laughs> she, she'd never asked that question before. Yeah. And I'd been a head coach for a long time. And, I'm, you know, so one more time I you know, wiped it up. I'm like, no, I don't need you to take me to practice. And I went to practice. I faked my team out another two hours. I faked my assistant coaches out for another two hours. And that's what we do people with mental health issues we fake yeah. people out we were just really trained well at that you know yeah. to put on that face and go out in the public and just you know try to try to do our thing and then you go home and it's just like the most miserable uh thing ever because you're not addressing it, mm. you know and yeah. you, you until you start to address it like that you will just continue to plummet yeah that's that's my experience like you know, you probably should address it, but you, you know, so many times people get to that point and they can't help themselves. Mm. They can't make the decision to help themselves. Yeah. 
That was me. Yeah. And so if somebody else doesn't step in, that's, I think, where we have a lot of our issues with suicide because it gets to the point where it's like, man, I'm so hopeless, so helpless. Mm. I have this cloud over my head. What am I going to do? I can't tell my wife. Well, yeah, mm. you can tell your wife. You need to tell your wife. You need yeah. to tell someone uh, yeah. that you're struggling. And it's okay to do that, you know? Yeah. And uh, I always say, you know, there's strength in getting help. Yep. It's not a weakness. Yeah. And in any other phase of our life, most people would agree with that statement in yeah. any other phase, whether it be something physically that we're getting help with, um, you know, whether it's somebody that's training you for your job. Mm. Uh, I mean, you're getting help, right? We get help all over the place. We learn, we get better. Yeah. Well, mental health is the same exact thing. And the sooner we start to recognize that, the better off we're all going to be. So I'll finish the story quickly. Yeah. Uh, that day we went, you know, we finished practice and we went to the bowling alley and, the, and we ordered pizzas for the guys. And I, what I haven't said is I lost 30 pounds in that five and a half week period. Wow. So, so the way my, when my serotonin level started to drop and I started having a lot of, you know, strange thoughts and just spiraled out of control, what also affected me physically because, yeah. you know, when I, I could put my favorite food in my mouth, which was pizza, and it would still make me nauseated. Mm. And so that's, that's a chemical imbalance in the brain. That's what that is. Yeah. And so I just chose not to eat. I, I ate just enough to have enough energy to, you know, to do what I needed to do to survive. Yeah. But losing 30 pounds in five and a half weeks. And you know, that that's, that's so unhealthy. And yeah. then you add upon that, the mental health issues that I was having. And I was at the, I was at an all time low. And mm. so that day, you know, I, I lied to my team. I said, Hey guys, I have a lower back issue. I normally bowl with them. We all bowl together and we have fun and it's a day that we get a chance to see each other in a different light. But this mm. day I just lied to him. I said, guys, I have a lower back issue. I need to go home. Mm. And so, so I did. And I went, I went home and I laid down on my chair and, you know, my wife knew, you know, obviously her antenna was way up at this point. Totally. And so she was keeping a very close eye on me and I was just laying in my chair and I just, it was, was just like, I don't know what to do. I'm mm. hopeless and yeah. I'm helpless. And I have, I have all these thoughts that I thought I could suck it up and, and, mm. and get through myself. Yeah. And, and it's not going away. It's only getting worse. Mm. And my wife sees me struggling And that particular night. I had to go to, I had to go to do a, what, what's called a live scout. Back in those days, we did a lot of live scouts. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I had an hour and 10 minute drive to go to Sterling college who we were going to play the next week. Mm. And uh, I was like, I don't want to go out of my house. I don't want to talk to anybody. Somebody might find out I'm not doing well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is another, you know, sign Yeah, is that if so, and you know me now well enough to know, hey, I'm a people person. We'll talk yeah. all day if you want to know. Yeah. And matter of fact, some people are like, okay, shut up, coach. You know, it's time. <laughs> but, but that's who I am. And, mm -hmm. and I love people and I love talking to people. When I was going through severe depression, it was obviously the opposite. I was mm -hmm. avoiding people. Um, and that's the way I was that afternoon. I was like, I don't even, I don't even know if I can go up there. Mm -hmm. And my wife comes in and she's like, you know, you got to tell me what's going on. Like, like, like I can't help you. If you can't, if you can't talk to me and yeah. this is not good. And, yeah. and all of those things she's like, so she finally said, do you need me to take you up to Sterling college? And so I, this is, was my way of reaching out to my wife. I said, I think I need you to take me up there. That was my way of saying, yeah, I'm struggling. I need, I need some help here, right? Yeah. Just drive me up there. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that, that was the trip. And that was the day that my wife went from being in denial that something major was going on with me to no longer 
being in denial. Mm. And we got up there and, you know, I, I, my wife always talks about this when she speaks, but she, she says, I cried all the way up there. And I honestly, I don't remember that, but like, I was so sick. I was just like emotional all the time, you know, but you know what I did before we got there, right? I cleaned it up and, you know, we walked into that facility and I'm like, I want to go up there to the highest part, scout the team and get the heck out of there and not talk to anybody. Hmm. We walk in and my wife sees somebody that she knows. She's like, Mark, come over here. I want to introduce you. Hmm. So she introduced me to this man that she knew that she Basically, she, uh, one of her colleagues at school, it was her dad. Yeah. And uh, my wife's a teacher, was a 32-year teacher. Wow. And uh, she said, um, she introduced me to him. And, and in that conversation, I said absolutely nothing to the man. I guess I shook his hand. And he's like, hey, coach, you know, I've been watching your teams. You know, what a year last year. And, you know, how's your team going to be this year? And I just stood there. Hmm. Didn't say a word. And my wife was answering for me. And so as we walked away from that, that conversation, that, that was the moment in time where my life was saved because my wife said, okay, no more. That's embarrassing. How come you can't talk to somebody? What is happening here? Okay. Enough is enough. So she went and got a doctor's appointment. She came to me on Monday and she said, we're going to the doctor. We're going to go one o'clock today, but we're going to attack this problem. We're going to get this problem fixed. We're going to find out what in the heck's going on with you. Yeah. And after all the struggles that I just described to you, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm not going to the doctor and you can't make me go to the doctor. (laughs) Needless to say, that didn't go too well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My wife, uh, she, she was very aggressive in saying, Oh, you're going to the doctor. She said, if I have to call your assistant coach up, who was, who's six, six weighed 280 pounds. And he has to come over here and pick you up and put you in the car. You're going to the doctor. You can either walk or I'll call him and he'll pick you up and carry you and shove you in the car. Hmm. So which one's it going to be? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to stop right there in the story. Obviously I agreed with her to walk to the car. Okay. Yeah. So, but I want to stop right there in the story. And I want anybody that's listening to this, to this story to, hmm. to ask themselves this question. Are they the person that's my wife? Are they the one that's watching somebody that's struggling, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to handle it, mm. trying, knowing they need to get them help and do something about it, but yeah. not, but afraid of what might happen if they do. Mm. And that's so many people are in that position. It could be a best friend in high school or middle school, or, you know, it could be our best friends, you know, at our ages now, it could be a colleague. It could be somebody we're coaching. It could be one of your colleagues, right? It could be mm. anybody. Yeah. And you may be the only one that actually knows what's going on with that person. Yeah. Could be the only one on the face mm. of the earth that actually knows what's going on. Right. Yeah. And so there's this fine line between us loving on and, 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 you know, being friends with people that may actually open up a little bit to us yeah. or may not actually open up at all, but we see all the signs of symptoms. Right. Doubt. So the choice, then there's a choice to be made. Hmm. And so that's why I stopped at that point in the story, because it's the most important part of the yeah, story. And that is wife did not take no for an answer. Hmm. My wife always says when she speaks, you know, she, she says, cause she, she was, you know, when she told me, you know, you're getting up out of that chair, right? She was after me, right? She, she was very aggressive in saying that. And hmm. she always like almost apologizes when she's telling that part of the story. He said, I'm not saying you should yell at your husband or your spouse if you're trying to get him to the doctor. Yeah. And here's what I would say to that. 
I don't know if that's what you should do either, but I, I know this had my wife not, you know, got after me and, and forced the issue. I might not be here talking to you today. Mm, yeah. So, so how, you know, how you do it, you know, is, yeah. is and to me, it's almost irrelevant. Like mm. get them in the car and yeah. get them help if they're at that point. Mm. If, you know, we, we always tell when I'm speaking to student athletes and coaches at the college or high school level, or really anybody at the high school level, but especially in the athletic world, in the sports mm. world, I always tell, listen, rally, you know, what do we do as coaches? Mm. We get our, we get our players to rally around their team, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what we get them to do. That's, that's our job is to get a cohesive group. And, to, and, no, and when things start to go awry a little bit, we got to rally around each other, right? Yeah. Well, man, we have to start rallying around our teammates in regards to mental health. We can no longer be afraid to help somebody. Yeah. We can no longer be afraid of how they might react or respond when we say, you know what? You're, you're drinking way too much or you're going out and doing stuff that I've never seen you do or you're missing class or mm. you, there's a whole long list or you're missing work every Monday. Yeah. Why aren't you at work? You know, or maybe it's another day of the week. But yeah. again, those are all signs and symptoms of somebody that's really struggling with something. Mm. And we as a society, and we don't mean to do this. This is why we're doing what we do today. Like I'm yeah. telling, I'm telling, listen, you have permission to get after them and say, listen, mm. no, we're going to go get help. Yeah. And it's and it's okay, yeah. Because there's so many people out there. I promise you, you're not a, you're not alone in this struggle, mm. um, and you won't be alone in this struggle because I'll walk the walk with you. Yeah, uh, coach, it's great that you shared, and and I love that you touched on the stigma. And I think that's for our listeners. I mean, young young individuals working in this industry, life is busy, and, and oftentimes I think you probably felt this that. You can't stop when you work in sports because there's so much to do right. and there's so much expectations of, of how you should perform and, and the success of the organization or the team. And so I'm glad that you shared that. Um, and I'm really glad that you shared your story because it's relatable for many. Um, and that's why I love what you do is, is speaking, being real and encouraging people to be honest about their, their struggles. So, Coach, I did want to transition. I love this next part of your story in as you sort of came to realize that, you know, there was this mental health struggle, you decided to step away from your team uh, and you decided not to share initially uh, with, yeah. with the team yeah. and with the public, right? Which, which is a, a decision that many would probably agree with, right? It's keep it too close to the chest. Um, but at some point you did decide to share it. And there's a really cool part of that story where one of your players, a freshman actually was uh, the, the encourager behind that. So I'd love for you to share more about that story and, and what led you to eventually be open about your struggles. Yeah. It's weird when you even say that it gives me chills and mm. it makes me emotional yeah. <laughs> because, because yeah. there's so many parts of the story that, that is life changing for the better. And obviously this is one of them. Yeah. Uh, but I want to clarify one thing. I didn't make the decision to step away from my team. My doctor made the decision for mm. me to step away from my team. Yeah. And, and the, I, I agreed 100%. And what matter of fact, I was relieved, yeah. which most people don't understand that because I was, I was a head coach for over eight, well over 800 games. Wow. I, I played three sports in high school, two sports in college and, and coached well over 800 games and only missed eight games ever. And hmm. these are the eight that I missed yeah. that I had to stay home the first eight games of that season. So um, I was relieved because I knew I was really sick and I knew I needed help mm. and he gave me permission yeah. to get help. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I think that's also before I tell this final story here, part of the final story, 
I think that's also another really important part for people to hear is yeah. that, uh, man, you may be the one person that can give somebody else permission and, and let them know, listen, it is okay. Yeah. And uh, I just think that's a really part. So after I got better, so I, I was home for uh, five and a half, almost six weeks. I missed the first eight games. Hmm. So it was the, the day before the opening game of the season is when my wife took me to the doctor. That's the day my doctor said, you're going to stay home until I tell you you can go back to your team. Hmm. And so I started taking medication, antidepressants. He said it's going to take four to six weeks before it fully kicks in. He was correct. He said you may get worse before you get better. He was correct in that. And it took about three weeks of being home before I actually did anything. I didn't turn on a television. I didn't read a paper. I did. I was so far gone that I was just, you know, I just didn't do anything except sleep, take my medication, try to get better. And then doctor released me to go back to my team after about five and a half weeks. So the medication kicked in, uh, my serotonin level went back up at least mm. close to normal. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't like I felt a hundred percent, but I was yeah. ready to go back and coach my team again. Yeah. And he knew I could. Um, and so I went back and I got on the floor for that first practice and I walked in in time for the practice. And one of my players at the other end of the floor, he was other than the court shooting around, getting ready for practice. He saw me and Keep in mind, my players didn't even know. Matter of fact, yeah. I told my wife, don't tell anybody why I'm not coaching my team. Hmm. So the only people that actually knew were my two assistant coaches, my athletic director, and my personal family. Yeah, We weren't going to tell anybody. Hmm. I mean, that was just the way it was going to be. Yeah. Stigma is strong. No doubt. <laughs> and uh, so I walk in that practice, and that player, like, turns around and sees me. He's like, he, he didn't know. Like, they all, little did I know, like, they, they're like, what is going on with Coach? Hmm. Like, does he have cancer? Is he have like they had all these things going through their mind, which you know, in retrospect, had I known all of that, I, you know, would have told them because yeah. I, I don't want them to suffer too, you know, right? right. So, yeah. but you're not even in a position to make that decision, unfortunately. So yeah. he runs down to me, big hug, and you know, we have you know, we have emotional moment right there. He's like, man, great to see you, coach, and mm. and uh, I thought, you know, you know, he he was he was excited. I was excited to be back, and I thought, you know, maybe I do owe it to my team to let them know why I was with them. So before that mm -hmm. practice, I took him in the locker room. I told him everything I just told you, basically. Yeah. And before we walked out, I said, "Okay, guys, we're going to keep it in house. Okay, we're not walking out there. Don't tell your girlfriends. Don't tell your moms and dads. Sure as heck, don't talk to the media. Mm -hmm. All right, let's practice." And that yeah. was the last time I was ever going to talk about it. Yeah. Two days later, we get on the vans to head two hours up the turnpike to play. Oh my first game back, which would have been our ninth game of the season. I have a policy that a freshman has to sit up front with the coach. So I'm driving in one van. One of my assistants is driving the other van. Hmm. And this freshman from Phoenix, Arizona, by the name of Dan, gets in and like, what's up, coach? And hmm. he's actually, I think, happy to be up there. I always jokingly say, yeah, the freshman hated that rule. But we did it to try to get to know him a little bit better hmm. and just in a little, you know, just have regular conversation. Yeah. And that kind of forces the issue a little bit. So. Totally. He gets up there and he starts talking and we're just telling stories, you know, about life and just having fun. I'm back mm. and I'm like, man, there's some normality to my life again. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, man, things, things, I was, I was really feeling good. And it was about an hour into that, into that drive to that game. And I was telling him a story and like, he just interrupts me right in the middle of the sentence. Like he's like, coach, coach, he kind of stuttered a little bit. And I'm like, what Dan? He's like, well, you know, in the locker room, when you told us why you weren't with us, you know, in the locker room, when you told us, uh, you know, not to talk to our girlfriends or our moms and dads, and sure as heck, don't talk to the media. 
And I'm like, yeah, I remember Dan. I was thinking, man, where's he going with this, right? Yeah. And he kind of stuttered a little bit. It took him an hour to build up this courage, right? And yeah. he, freshman in college, tells his head coach, he says it kind of like this, like, he said, coach, he said, uh, I think it'd be really cool if you would talk to the media. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that gives me chills when I say that, right? Mm. Like, you know, God works in so many different ways, mm. you know, that, that you just, we have no idea. Yeah. No <laughs> um, and it shocked me, you know, when he said, I was just, I didn't even ask him why he said it. Mm. It, it just shocked me. It, it kind of took me a, and I remember we drove up to that game. We played that game and I got back home and about 3 a.m. And I, I, I never wake up my wife and I woke her up that night at 3 a.m. And I said, honey, I said, I, I said, this is what my freshman said. This is what Dan said in the van on the way up there. Mm. It was bothering, it was bothering me. And, uh, you know, so we, you know, we got down on our knees and we just prayed about it, you know, mm. and, uh, we did not make the decision that night, but a couple of days later, three, two or three days later, we made the decision that that freshman mm. was right. So, yeah. uh, what I forgot to tell you in the midst of the story. So when I was at home, I had received an email from our sports writer that covers our team. Mm-hmm. So I was still at home getting better. And that sports writer just said, Hey coach, I'd like to be the first one that talks to you about why you have not been with your team when you get back with your team. Hmm. And I apply and I said, I'm not talking to you or anybody else. And I sent it. Right. So that was a part of the story I forgot to tell. Well, now I'm, I call that guy back up. Right. Yeah. I actually call him up. He emailed me, but I call him up and I said, Hey, his name is Jeffrey Parsons. I said, Jeff, I said, Jeffrey, I said, "You, you let me know. I'll tell you everything. So he came in did an article and we estimate over 400 people contacted us in the next 48 hours, over half of which we didn't even know who they were. Hmm. And, um, and then about a week and a half after that, give or take, um, I'm looking for it right up there. I'd have to go out of the picture, but so we have a, I got a letter from a 17 year old high school senior. Hmm. That's just up the road from Newman university. And that letter said, Coach Potter, you don't know me, but I read the article in the paper, and he said, uh, I knew that I had a lot of the same symptoms that you had. And after one really difficult night, I, I finally told my mom and dad hmm. of my stru- of my struggles. Wow. And then he, he said, I, I wrote the letter to tell you, Coach, thanks for saving my life. Hmm. And uh, whew, that that's the one that, you know, between my freshman and, and that letter. Yeah. And I got a lot of other letters saying a lot of different things, but that one was the one that just jumped out at me. And I'm just like, man, mm-hmm. I had no idea. You know, I just did yeah. not understand, you know, when I'm, when I'm at the, at the lowest of my lows and on my knees saying, God, why me? Hmm. That's why, you know, yeah. I write like, so that's why. Yeah. And uh, so that letter sits right there. So that letter, so I coached for another 11 years after all this happened, right? Yeah. And that letter sat right on my desk so I could see it every day. Mm-hmm. And it would remind me that I'm not just a head basketball coach coaching yeah. basketball. I have a lot of other things that I can do to impact people in a real positive way through what I went through. Without a doubt. And I truly felt that was a calling for me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I felt God, you know, obviously worked through the freshman, worked through the letter from a high, yeah. high school senior. And, you know, so my wife and I have been carrying that torch really for going on 18 years now. Yeah. And after 11 years of being a head coach, I, I went home one day and I just said, honey, I said, I think I, I really feel called to, 
to get out and start speaking about this topic and, mm -hmm. and trying to impact the world in a much different way than we are. Yeah. And my, and my wife says, and she can say this a lot better than I can, but <laughs> she says, you know what? God may be talking to you about this, but God is not talking to me. I don't think that's what we should do. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, you know, she, she, you know, she reluctantly in, in the beginning, yeah. because you know, the worries are, can we even make a living? I mean, I, she retired from teaching, but I didn't retire from coaching. I had to make a living. Yeah. So from a selfish standpoint, not really selfish. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to do what God asked me to do here. And I'm going to say, you know what, Lord, please take care of us financially too, yeah. because, because we are taking a chance here and, no and man, it, you know, the first year was some challenges and COVID obviously was some challenges, which mm. was for everybody, yeah. but we have been blessed way beyond what mm. we deserve in regards to being able to impact so many people. As I said, we've been in 25 States. We have not been in Minnesota, by the way, get that, up would be num coach. that would be number 26. You gotta get up here, coach. Uh, are you with me, Noah? I'm with you there, no <laughs> doubt. And no so, doubt. Uh, anyway, we we uh, it's been a blessing, mm. and and you know through all those struggles, you know, I, I'll give you one example. So, yeah, where I was at yesterday, and this happens everywhere, almost everywhere we go, and and I I will not tell you, you know, it was an athletic administrator at the college level, mm. and I always ask people, you know, when I talked earlier about my wife going from being in denial to no longer being in denial. Yeah. I always ask in my presentation, are you in denial hmm. about yourself or about somebody, you know, yeah. whether it's a family member or whatever. Hmm. And I challenge them that if you are in denial, that today's the day that I will pray and I will hope that you will no longer be in denial. Amen. I had a administrator come to me after yesterday's presentation, tears running down her face. She said, coach, I'm going to go get some help. I've been in denial. No longer am I going to be in denial. Man, that's awesome. So that's why we do what we do, you know, and I have a thousand yeah. other stories I could tell you, but we don't yeah. have time today, obviously. So <laughs> there's, there's the, uh, there's mm. the, 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 the coach Potter, uh, yeah. uh, as fast a version as I can possibly give and still yeah. give the entire stories. Coach, thanks for sharing. I, I love the last part in getting that out in, into the public eye. I think, you know, to your, to your point, the stigma is so powerful and it, and it can make us feel like we, if we tell somebody we're going to be weak and we're going to be seen as uh, kind of like a, almost like an alien, like an odd individual. And I just love that there is so much impact from you sharing it uh, for your players, I'm sure. And for that, that young man that sent you the letter, um, it just really is an encouragement. And, and I love that, that you're doing this for a living now. You're sharing your story. You're having an impact. And, and with that said, I'd love for you to share with our listeners, what, what is D2UP? What is the vision? And how do you guys really impact individuals with your story? So D2UP, and it stands for, get ready for this, Noah. Yeah. Dedicated to uncommon, you can relate to that, right? Sure can. Principles. Sure so can. dedicated to uncommon principles. Yeah. That was one word that I wanted in it, uh, in, in, in our business name. My wife did everything else, I promise you, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not good with any of that stuff. Yeah. So uh, we have a website uh, that is d2up.org. So it's mm. the letter D, the number two, so d2up.org. Yeah. And all of our information is on there. My bio is on there. Mm. Uh, my cell phone uh, anyway, uh, we have our email on there. They can email us. 
Yeah. Uh, and so what we do and how we get jobs is when we speak, um, you know, if that if those people feel like it's worthy for anybody else to hear, we just simply ask them, listen, can you get the word out? Because we mm -hmm. want to go to everywhere. We don't care if it's a 1A school in Minnesota. We don't yeah. care if it's the largest business in Minnesota. And we don't care if it's a college, D1, NAI. We don't care. Yeah. We don't care where we go. We just want to impact. No doubt. Um, we, we have no, um, you know, we, we know that God's going to, you know, hopefully plant the seed in the, into the right people's uh, minds that, yeah. you, know, you know what, maybe we need to bring them out here to Minnesota. Hopefully, you know, yeah. we're going to pray that that happens, you know. No doubt. So, That's awesome, Coach. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. It really is an awesome ministry that you guys have and encouraging to know that you're, you're making your way uh, through, through the country, right? Half the state, you said 25, that's, yeah. that's halfway to all of them. So that's, that's really an encouragement, Coach. And I think last question I have for you, Coach, and really just there's so much that goes into recovery, right? You mentioned the, the importance yes. of getting to the doctor, the importance of antidepressants and being on the, that medication, the importance of telling your loved ones, taking time away from, from work. But I think something that is very important as well is our faith in Christ and, and that role that he plays in our trial. So just share with me, what role did your personal relationship with Jesus play in your battle with mental health? Well, I, I became a Christian when I was eight years old at a little small church in Chautauqua, Kansas, yeah. down by where we, uh, we, my wife and I grew up mm. and been in church all my life. And, you know, my faith, you know, as, as I think anybody would say, it's, I mean, as Christians, sometimes I'm like, man, you know, my faith is incredible. And then sometimes it's like, gosh, I am just not even remotely close to where I need to be, right? Like I need to no get doubt. back to doing what I do. So always, you know, so when I start struggling today, way before that, yeah. you know, I just, I just, uh, I just, I just do a lot of praying yeah. and, you know, I ask God to lead me mm. and to help me to think the way I need to think. And I, I truly think, you know, there's, there's this spiritual battle that's going on with mm. Satan out there trying to destroy us. Yeah. Christians and yeah. not wanting us to get a message like this out and not wanting us to talk about how, you know, God had this game plan. Mm. And, you know, if, if we just, if we'll follow, like yeah. we do what we're supposed to do, yeah. right? Hard to do sometimes. No but doubt. If we'll do that, if we'll do that, like, wow, you know, like you can't script, you know, what's happened in my life and, yeah. and, nor would I want to, like, I, if you'd have told me I was doing this, I'd have laughed at you, yeah. you know, prior to going through all of that. That's mm. God's doing, not mine. Amen. So God Amen. had, you know, my relationship with Jesus had a whole lot to do with what we do. Yeah. And, and if I had a whole lot to do with how I coached, how I, and that doesn't mean I was, I was perfect because I sure as heck wasn't, but, but I always, mm. you know, my faith always had, it held me together. Yeah. It, it kept, even in the depths of depression, people will say, well, how does, you know, God allow that to happen? Well, you know what? God had a game plan. Yeah. You know, no I, you know, if I just follow the game plan, you know, good things might happen, especially mm. God's game plan. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, it's not my game plan. That's always the right. One. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I hope no. people will hear that too. You know, it's like, man, we as humans, we just think sometimes we don't, we can just do it on our own. And yeah. man, that's just, uh, that's the next to it's impossible. It's not it next is. to impossible. It's impossible to it do is. that. So, uh, I hope that answers your question. You know, my wife and I, um, we we are we love Jesus, hmm. and uh, and we are we are absolutely 
blessed mm. to be able to even say that in our, the country that we live in yeah. and all the things that go with, you know, all the, the struggles that people have. I mean, yeah. you know, without that, it doesn't matter. You know, people look at you and say, oh, head college basketball coach and did it. I have just as many problems as they do. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter where we come from. I promise yeah. you, you know, we, we do. So without yeah, my relationship so. with Jesus, I don't know how to make it, <laughs> to be That's real amazing. honest with you. Yeah, Coach, I love that. I love that testimony you just shared, too, and the importance of your role, uh, or, or rather that Christ's role that he played in your life allowed you to stay afloat through a lot of your challenges. I think about Matthew 7. It's one of my favorite um, teachings from Jesus is the house that was built on the rock and the house built on the sand. And, and when the trials of life and, and the storms of life come, the house on the rock stands firm, but the house in the, in the sand is, is, is crushed and destroyed. And so I think as believers, we can remind ourselves that when these trials do come, uh, we do have a solid foundation we can stand on. So thanks for sharing. That yeah. Much. And I hope, and I hope if there's, you know, a non-believer out there, that's not a Christian that hears this podcast today that, you know, we, you know, the one thing that I always, you know, always think about is, you know, when we speak about our, our Christian background and our faith and all of those things, sometimes we can come across as you know, I, you know, I hope those non-believers know we are just as much sinners as they are. Mm. The only difference is we have Christ in our life. And, and that's that something that, like I said, without Jesus, I'm not sure what we would do. So, yeah. you know, I just want them to know, listen, it, 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 it's okay, you know, where they're at right now. But I hope they hear the part that, you know, mm. with Christ, you know, yeah. look out, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> you no. can get through all, you can get through anything. No so. doubt. No doubt, coach. I love that. That's a, that's a great word. And Christ is, uh, for, for those that are listening that are non-believers, he is uh, a, a doctor for the sinners, right? And Jesus says himself that and, he... And we're all sinners. <laughs> no doubt so. that, that he came to, he came for those that are lost, for those that are sick, which is all of us. Um, so if you can recognize that and come to Christ, he will cleanse you by his finished work on the cross uh, and give you new life in, in a relationship with him. So Coach Potter, I just want to say thanks. Obviously you... Your story is so powerful, and what you're doing through D2UP is encouraging to myself and for those that you have shared with. So thanks for joining us today and having a passion for mental health in, in this day and age is important, and uh, just wishing you well as you continue this journey. Absolutely appreciate you, Noah, and uh, you know your humbleness and the way you go about your business. So, you know, being, uh, being an old dude like I am now, it's fun for me to watch young people like you go about your business the way you do. So I appreciate mm. you and, and I love what you guys do, you know, in your work. So, Thanks, coach. Hey, you know, it's time to get to Minnesota. That's all I can say. Yes, sir. That's <laughs> awesome. Coach. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. If you want to get involved with uncommon sports group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our Academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every other week on Thursdays at midnight Eastern time. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next time.